Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at TechBuyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can any any amount will be greatly appreciated thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners hi this is the let's talk leadership podcast my name is ellie greening And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. everyone and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. This week we have the awesome Ivan Perota on the show. Ivan is the VP of Engineering at Travel Perk. Travel Perk is a next generation business travel platform who save time, money and hassle pioneering the future of business travel. Ivan has an impressive career. He's transitioned throughout from head of products, engineering roles and into the VP of Engineering role he is in today. Ivan has overseen the team growing from 20 to almost 100 strong engineers, which is fantastic. He's passionate about continuing the growth and development of his awesome team at Travel Perk, and we cannot wait to hear all about it today. So joining us from Barcelona, we've got the lovely Ivan. Hello. Hello. Thank you very much for for this uh, kind introduction. I'm really looking (laughs) forward to talk to you. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic and you've got the, the sun is shining for you today I hear isn't it um yeah. which is uh very nice very very jealous um over here in the UK um it's fantastic it's great to have you on the show um so I usually um kick off with the first question um always like to start with setting the scene and and the context um, for our viewers and listeners. So if you could start by giving us some background, like a bit of a kind of quick tour of your career history, how you've got to, like the journey that you've gone on and how you've got to where you are today, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, okay. So I'm a computer science uh, engineer. Um, mm-hmm. I started working like 20 years ago, more or less. The first probably 10 years of my career was working in uh, local consultancy companies, consultancy firms, uh, mostly working for government, doing really um, boring stuff, (laughs) these waterfall projects from the the old times. Uh, But honestly, I was really, really uh, lucky to work probably in a couple or three of the most significant projects back in that time, like uh, the Mm -hmm. first signature platform uh, for the government, even worldwide, implementing some standards that was just in the RFCs stages, and then um, some other significant projects. No, but uh, early in my career, I was pushed from my managers to become a project manager or a department manager. Very, very, very early in my career. So I, during that period, I developed a lot of uh, background in in that people management side. 
Um, which is usually the other way around. So you start as an individual contributor and then you develop eventually to, to different roles. In my case, what it was completely different. So uh, at this point of my career, it, being a computer science engineer, I, I wanted to create things. So I was missing the fact to, of being able to create things. So I dropped my, my, my consultancy firm career and I started working in a small um, startups back in the time. Especially I was working for the last 12 years in um, early stages of startups especially in the mobile ecosystem in Barcelona, which is a great ecosystem because we have the Mobile World Congress with GSMA, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was honestly great. Um, I found like my product market fit, right? I, I, I found my space. I was able to, to growth from a technical perspective. And then um, I just realized that uh, as soon as I was able to growth in that, in that path, that I was able to, um, articulate my background from management, uh, I was able to provide better uh, service to my teams by having the both backgrounds, you know, the technical background plus the, the more generic management background. And um, so I was really lucky because I was working in Blico when they were acquired by Skyscanner. Then I was working in, I was the first employee in Force Manager, which is a Series B uh, CRM here in Barcelona. Then I was leading like the Mobile World Congress 2015 uh, uh, attendee experience, which is a huge project with 60 people, like six months without uh, the possibility to get that single day delay. So I, I was really lucky to participate in, in some of the greatest projects uh, in, the, in the area. And, and then two years ago, I just uh, get the, got the opportunity um, to join Trafalgar. I was, I already found four companies in my career. So I have this mindset of, uh, of being like a multidisciplinary guy who can embrace the chaos and try to make things happen and try to collaborate in different areas of, uh, of a business, like uh, from the business perspective, from the product perspective, from the engineering perspective. So it's like um, all the pieces came together when I, when I joined Travelberg. Fantastic. Well, you've had a great, um, varied, varied background. Um, you started um, the technical degree, um, computer science, and, and worked your way through. Um, you worked with startups, you worked with, with larger businesses. So um, you must have lots and lots of um, experiences and learnings that you can share with us today. So I'm really looking forward to getting into more detail um, about that and, and sharing some of that, those experiences. Um, what would you say along throughout that journey, what would you say has been your kind of biggest challenge and then from, from that biggest challenge, your biggest kind of learning that you think others might be able to um, learn from, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's a really challenging question, actually. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest, the biggest challenge that you face as a manager sometimes is the imposter syndrome, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes you need to empower people around yourself that mm -hmm. are more capable of doing that than yourself. And... And that doesn't mean that you don't provide value to them, but, uh, but you need to fight this imposter syndrome and just focus on that your mission is to empower others and your mission yeah. is to make them success. 
and uh, and as soon as you balance that, that that your work is not direct outcome but indirect outcome when you are able to deal with that and balance that then then you are uh, you are a successful manager i think that's a tricky point there is so many people who is not able to understand that they have an indirect commitment and they are struggling a lot during during this uh, transition from an individual contributor to a manager yeah what tips would you what what's worked for you to um i guess manage that and become a successful leader and what tips would you give to others that are looking to learn from Wow. I mean, we, we built um, an internal program for the engineering managers. So one year ago, uh, it was a quite flat organization in Tralperg. We were like 24, 25 uh, engineers, but we wanted to be like 100, like how mm -hmm. it is right now. And it was impossible to do that without building the foundations of the team. So we started working in a case approach. Uh, like a mini master internally. Uh, and we start working with a former SVP, Dave Garcia, talking about, you know, okay, we have this case about conflict resolution. We have this case about um, um, one-on-ones and, and building trust. We, we created different cases. Then we did a role play about, about uh, different cases in one-on-ones. And we use so many resources for building this trend. And I, I get inspired a lot with uh, Camille Fournier books, uh, Lara Hogan books, the resilient management, then the LibDev uh, channel, which is really, really insightful. Um, and we try to build like a, the foundation uh, for avoiding people to start doing engineering management from scratch, right? Like mm -hmm. you are a manager now and you start dealing with that. And uh, I think the, the best tips that I can give in that sense is, um, Take that seriously. So this is not like a natural work, uh, or so take take this new challenge because this is not a promotion. It's a completely new career path. So take this professionally, and uh, that means read, look for trainings, look for inspiration, and also look for mentors. You know, look for people around yourself that already face this challenge and make these mistakes before yourself. Fantastic. Um, interesting, really interesting point. And I think um, it's always the biggest transition that, isn't it, when you move into a leadership role and, um, you know, we all make, we're all human, we all make mistakes and it's how we learn from those mistakes. Yeah. And and um, and like you say, it's, it's trying to get that whole empowerment piece right, which, which um, is a tricky one. So in your current role, um, current situation, what are your, what would you say your kind of, problem areas, pain points, and challenges are um, currently? Um, I think the, I mean, I always like to look to the team from the self-determination theory perspective, you know, like, you know, what is the autonomy, uh, the relayness, uh, the, the different parts of the self-determination theory. And I think we cover mostly all these areas in Park. But there is one part that it's not clearly part of the determination theory that it has been um, hit by COVID, which is the psychological safety of the team. Yeah. And I think this is one of the challenges that we are facing right now because we cannot provide solutions to the uncertainty because we don't have that solution. 
So mm-hmm. we are trying to work on that. And we are trying to, um, I think all of us are really proud of uh, our leadership team and how they um, drive us through these situations, being transparent and being very vocal and et cetera. And protecting, uh, putting the people first, right? But at the end, we cannot provide, a, we cannot fake the psychological safety. Yeah. So we can provide transparency and provide communication, but at the end, the people know that no one is traveling like it was before, and no one knows when it's going to be back, this business. Yeah. So we, we, we try to compensate that by giving clear feedback and clear data and how we are processing the metrics on the market for mm-hmm. taking uh, leadership and executive decisions. Uh, but again, uh, it's it's really, really, really a challenging situation. Yeah, of course it is, obviously, from the industry perspective. I mean, the year's been a shock and a change for everyone, hasn't it? But particularly, I guess, with what they do at Travel Park. I'd like to delve a little bit further on something you mentioned earlier when you were talking about your career around um, the startup side of it as well. Like you've worked for loads of different organisations, different different sizes, different sizes of businesses and all facing different challenges. But there's certainly a little entrepreneurial street that I'd like to find a little bit more about um, with you. Um, Ivan, so can you tell us a little bit more about Swim It and your involvement in Swim It? Swim It? Swim It? Um... I wasn't expecting that that question, and I'm really. <laughs> I saw I really it on LinkedIn. I was like, "Oh my god, that's so interesting." <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that you raised this topic. I mean, um, <laughs> I really, I really like to read a lot. You know, yeah. I, I get a lot of inspiration by by reading books. You know, and I remember like ten years ago, or I was reading a lot of Steve Blank and Eric Rice and Asmadwara and all these international people that are contributing about ways to create business, right? Mm-hmm. Ways to develop uh, customers. And I feel a bit frustrated because sometimes it's really hard to take that in actions in your world. So I, I, I am an open water swimmer. Um, yeah. And uh, I really, I, I thought that it was a great idea just to create like a, my personal lab you know, and try to put in practice all the learnings from these uh, experts, let's say. So I start talking with people. I start defining an, an interview script and start talking with people like swimmers, clubs, uh, media publishers, uh, competitors, um, big organizations. So I start talking with people and, and try to challenge if my hypotheses were, were, were good or not. And, um, and I realized that, uh, especially in Spain, it's quite different in other countries, but it was quite an advisable to go to swim alone to the mm-hmm. open waters. And we usually do that. So we usually go to the, to, the, um, <clears throat> to the sea and swim with people. You know, there is lines protected for you to, to swim between different uh, beaches in the, in the coast. And, okay, um, okay, yeah. And so I, after all these interviews, I decided to create a, a, like a social network for open water swimmers, um, trying to let the people connect with each other, but also discover uh, meetups and clubs and trainers and uh, routes that we can do worldwide. So it was like a lab for me just to go through all the process 
And then it was for me a big surprise because obviously from an economic perspective, it was not a successful project. It was a very niche market and I was not able to get traction from, from investors because of that. Mm. But it was a huge satisfaction from the perspective of the network that I built. So yeah. I, I, I was able project to- project of passion then by the sounds of it. Yeah, I, I was able to, to meet relevant people in the market. And then I get a big surprise because I was nominated as a best service in the industry for the worldwide association of the open water. So it was like that's cool. That's so cool. Do you know what? We've found an episode that my dad is gonna love to listen to because he lives in Lanzarote and he's an open water swimmer and he goes every morning and he's gonna love this. So I think he'll be uh he'll be sending you a request on LinkedIn to find out more about it anyway. <laughs> I will be looking forward. I mean I, I it was it was an amazing journey for me. Really awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. It sounds like it's been a lot of fun as well. So I'd love to delve a little bit deeper. We've touched on it a little bit about some of your ideas, but more about your leadership style, how you describe yourself as a leader, and how your teams would describe you. I mean, for me, it's really hard to say how my team describes me, um, oh. but um, I think everyone feels that I'm a caring profile. You know, I I always put my team in front of uh, of everything else, and I think this is a. Um, I think you need to find the balance between being a good manager and a pleasant manager, and it's sometimes it's tricky, right? But for me, what it works for me, it's being a fair person. So, and um, and being a fair person is the best gift that you can give to someone that you care. Yeah, so you try and be quite a caring, sort of pleasant yeah. manager that can be supportive to your network. Okay, cool. And your team. So um, I know that at Travel um, Perk, you're particularly interested, and there's a really key focus in the recruitment on diversity and inclusion. I'd love to know your thoughts and any top tips that you've got from leaders that, again, are also focusing on this. Any initiatives that you've tried that you've seen that you feel have been particularly successful? You mean for inclusion, for diversity and inclusion? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a very challenging topic, you know, especially in the engineering side. I mean, from a company perspective, and, and also there is some sort of uh, bias when we talk about diversity, it, it looks like we are always talking about gender diversity, mm -hmm. yeah. but it's also, it's not gender, it's gender, it's race, it's religion, it's background, no? Uh, in some cases, um, there is people who is not able to reach a job because they are 50 or 60s, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. this is part of the inclusion and the diversity that we should take care of. So in, in that sense, um, Trollperk as a company has a quite great balance between in the gender side. So we are like 47% of uh, women's, 53% of, uh, of men's. 45 nationalities, which is amazing. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's great. Really, really amazing. Um, <clears throat> now we are so introducing like a concept, which is the extended leadership team. So right now we have a very small leadership team. And uh, now we want to extend that and including in this extended leadership team, directors, um, vice presidents, etc. So 
by doing that change, we are going to have a, an, another um, balanced situation also in the leadership team because right now it was uh, mostly uh, males. Mm. And um, there is something also really, really important that it's uh, the culture, obsession of culture that we have at Tribeberg. And so we try to have a very solid uh, hiring process, including two cultural interviews for trying to make... Uh, really, including really... what, sorry, what did you say then about the interviews, Ivan? Yeah, in, in the process, we have two cultural interviews. So probably it's a cultural check with a C-level or a director. But oh, that's right. the, uh, and regarding what we want to do for changing this problem in, in engineering, which obviously the product engineering team is not following this balance. It's really hard because there is a problem in the market that we cannot fix from ourselves. But what we have planned for this year that we were not able to, to, to roll out, it was a graduate program. You know, we wanted to use a graduate program for mm -hmm. giving opportunities um, for uh, these uh, um, elements, uh, these uh, like um, groups in the market that maybe didn't have this opportunity or mm -hmm. even they are less representative in, in the company by using the graduate program. Because uh, again, obviously if you are looking for a very specific roles or very specific um, engineers in the market, the, the, the balance between, especially in gender, is, it's, it's, is what it is. We cannot yeah. change that. Yeah. Um, there is something really different in our approach for hiring that compared with other companies is that we are not looking for experts. We never look for experts. So we don't mm -hmm. care. We are using Django and we are using React, but we really don't care if you know these tools. Instead, we try to have an, an agnostic hiring process for yes, I love this, Ivan. You're singing to my heart here. I love hiring managers who are exactly like that. They hire the people with the talent, the tech agnostic approach that can then pick that up, which is great. And then we have a very strong onboarding process that includes trainings in those specific technologies. Yeah. And this is giving us a lot of good results because we can open a lot more the market. Mm. And then we can get for real the talent that we are looking for yeah no definitely have that's you so um, as, that's yeah no it's fantastic have you, as a business have you looked have you ever looked at anything like because you mentioned before about um obviously diversity and inclusion it's not just about gender um and you talked before about like kind of like i guess um the older older generation that maybe um i guess you could class as like maybe there might be like tech returners as well that have gone out of tech done something else but would love to get back into tech and things like age or inexperienced recent experience may go against them as a business have you ever looked at anything like that or thought about implementing anything like that moving forwards mm. I don't think we have an specific mm. plan for that for, for that specific case. What I know mm. is that we not we we don't discard anyone by any of these uh, um, you know um, I'm I'm struggling to find the word in English, but basically we, we don't discard anyone by discriminate on, yeah, we are not discriminating anyone on. by 
Yeah. I um I actually had an example this week which I really loved. I had feedback from from one of my clients. It was regarding a CV, and this particular lady had taken seven years out to bring up her children. And it said uh, in the feedback section, it said, oh, um, gaps in career. And I thought, oh, God, here we go again. Someone else not giving someone an opportunity. And then like two lines down, it said, but she's been bringing up two children and it looks like she's been doing an awesome job. So we'd love to interview her or something like that. And I was like, it's so great that, that that's what it's all about. That you should yeah. yeah, I completely relate with you that, that actually this is another um group of people who should uh, be take care, especially, you know, the parents. Because yeah. when we talk about diversity and inclusion, sometimes we are not considering parents. And it's really, really challenging. When you are putting a meeting at eight in the morning, nine in the morning, you are really struggling in the situation of someone who wants to bring their children to school, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, that's yeah. it, isn't it? A lot of stand-ups, they want to book them in the diary for nine o'clock every day because that works for some people, but it doesn't work for everyone. And as a parent, you shouldn't have to compromise, should you, on the two, being that's able right. to do, look after your kids and also do a great job at work. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I think it'd be really interesting um, to now hear about um, if you could tell us about one of your biggest project failures or biggest like project challenges that maybe in hindsight you would have done differently that others can learn from. Yeah. Um. Actually, it was probably one of them was back in my consultancy firm um, experience. I was leading the employment, the, the government portal for employment back in 2007 and eight, And it was probably the biggest uh, crisis of employment in Spain, you know, back in the time. And uh, the pressure on top, the political pressure on top of that project was huge. So we were reporting to the government every month. And, um, and at the same time, I, have, I had a lot of pressure from my company because they were creating like a, an, off, an, uh, um, an offshore um, lab in the south of Spain, but it was quite new. They don't have experience. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to balance the pressure from the, the political pressure for including some features and doing different things that maybe was... Um, compromising the success of the project and at the same time trying to balance the the requirements from my internal company. And um, I mean, I see this as a big failure because at the end, it takes times when for you to learning to say no to things, right? And to, yeah. and to understand that saying no, it's the right thing to do. Mm. And uh, that, that project was a nightmare for many of us. So we were working like many nights, many, many weekends. And at the end, the, the deliver of the outcome of the project was, was not that successful for so many things. It was really terrible. It was not successful for so many things. The project is, is alive, it's working, but, but uh, I take that as a, as a failure, you know? And the, the mm-hmm. biggest failure for me was not, not, not being able to say no and say, mm-hmm. we are going to do this and we are going to commit for this scope and stopping the, the other needs that you need to deal with when you are in this type of uh, sensitive mm-hmm. project. 
It's hard, isn't it? It's one of the most difficult things, I think, for some people to do is to say no, um, is to say, no, actually, we're not doing this now, or we can't do this now, or um, I can't meet that deadline, um, because everybody just wants to just want to please people, don't you, and, and um, do as you've kind of, I guess, been asked, and, want, you know, but it, it's, it's a good, a very good um, lesson to learn and move on from and and also to, to reinforce because it's that it's it's something that is continuous isn't it it comes up again and again and again it's it's hard it's difficult to say no um particularly um when you've got the pressures and it's such a crucial critical project yeah um <clears throat> so I think um, what would be really interesting as well, because it sounds like from a number of the things that you've said um, throughout the last kind of half an hour or so, um, that you've got a great culture environment, you've got great leadership style, um, you're, um, you've got obviously you've got a very diverse um, team, you're doing something right in terms of um, we're doing lots of things right by the sound of it in terms of growth and attraction, attracting talent and people. How do you, um, what do you think differentiates you as a, a business or how could others learn from what you guys have done as a, as a business and how you've grown in terms of attracting and retaining talent? Yeah. Um, you know, probably because of my entrepreneurship background, uh, back one year ago when I was uh, talking with uh, the leadership team and they were asking me to almost triplicate the size of the team, mm. I started looking about uh, how to approach this. You know, I was, I was thinking, okay, my challenges are uh, brand building, my challenges are acquisition, and then my challenges are retention. And I think, okay, the, all these words sounds familiar to me. Yeah. from the, all these customer life cycle frameworks that we used to adopt when you are running a business, right? So I start thinking about that and, and then I, I just connect with uh, the Pirates model, that it was a model released by Dave McClure, I think in 2007. Yeah, and tell me more week, about this because I wasn't aware of Pirates model before. Well, it, it's, it's very well. simple because at the end, Steve Blank is, called, is talking about the get, keep and growth, right? And basically, the, Dave McClure, it, 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 it split this even more than that. So it's talking about awareness, which is brand building, right? So get to know people about you. Then you have um, um, acquisition, which is putting people in the funnel. Then you have activation, which is making people do the first action. Then mm -hmm. revenue, retention, and referral. So this AAA, RRR, it's the pilot's model. And I thought that, that was a great framework for me because at the end, the Pirates model is just defining KPIs that you can put in place for balancing when are the bottlenecks of your, on your process. So I start thinking on the engineers as a, as a customers and I, I deploy all this framework. So I start talking with HR for the brand building activities and we define KPIs for the awareness, which is the brand building activities like Congress, events, advertising, Anything that is regarding the, the brand building activities, it was monitoring by these KPIs, like conversion, the cost of acquisition, etc. Mm -hmm. Then we have the, the acquisition, which actually is the hiring process, right? So we evaluated the performance of the process and we started identifying bottlenecks in the process and changing some parts of the, the systems, uh, trying to simplify the process for making it happen in one day because 
one of the times that we have back in the time was that time to hire was 51 days. Right now it's like 20 something. And uh, we were able to do that. Do something's by... quite good, I guess, if that's from time to hire the full process, 20, it's probably yeah. fairly good. I'd say that's probably above market average. I'd say that's pretty good, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But we were able to do that because we identify KPIs just yeah. by looking in that, that part of the funnel, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have the onboarding. As I mentioned before, we have a, uh, some sort of an special boarding because we are hiring um, for generalist people. So, but also it's important to define KPIs and to define ways to measure the effectiveness of the onboarding. Um, regarding the growth, well, the, the revenue of an engineer is the impact, right? Probably this is the more tricky part. And I will talk about this uh, in a bit. And then we have the referral, which is part of the acquisition. So it's easy to measure the, the conversion of the referral. Mm -hmm. And it's also the, it was also a challenge to measure the retention and the, and the growth of the team. So talking about the, the contribution of the team, we start looking into ways to measure the throughput of the team. And so we start measure the collaboration approach, like uh, how they are sharing the pull request, the, the comments in the pull request, taking action of the pull request. Um, what else? So we split the contribution in, in, uh, in collaboration, in quality, but also in manual work. So if we want to measure efficiency, we start tracking manual activities from the team for being able to identify bottlenecks in our own system, you know, as, mm -hmm. a, as an engineer. Um, so more or less, we were able to identify KPIs from the contribution perspective, just for mm -hmm. empower squad leads to identify, okay, this new member is going in the ramp up as, as we expect, or I need to take some actions, or these other members are struggling, are, are participating in the, in, the, in the life cycle of the, um, of the so we're in the way that we expect. So we, we start giving information to the squad leads to take actions. And finally, regarding the growth, we, we had a problem with the previous grading. So basically we benchmarked the market for seeing what was the best option. And we identify the medium snowflake as the way to go for us because it encouraged behaviors of the people and also give the people the autonomy for growing in the areas or in the competences that they want to. So they don't, they don't need to be forced to do something just for, for becoming senior, you know? Yeah. Uh, they, they have the, the freedom to decide, I want to develop myself in this area or in this other area. And in uh, any way become senior because the outcome that you are, or the impact that you are generating justify that you are a senior in this, in this organization. Yeah. That's really great. And that's um, obviously a credit to you and Danny and recruitment for putting that together and the process. It sounds like you're uh, quite a team to team, which is fantastic yeah. to hear. Yeah. yeah. At the end, you need to work very, very closely with the HR team in, in, in that yeah. sense. And, yeah. And so getting a lot of proper yeah. processes in place and doesn't happen overnight but it sounds like Ellie said like Ellie said you've worked really hard to to get some great process in place and those time scales are fantastic yeah I'm, I'm really happy because at the end this year give us the space for proving ourselves right and, yeah and end, yes yeah we, we 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 reach the goals in the sense that we gave the churn rate the lowest department in the company 
and mm. we almost triplicate the size of the team. So it yeah. was a, a huge success for us looking into the problem like this. Like you say, you've got to take this year as a time to reflect and, and work on yourself. I think we've certainly been trying to do that as well, haven't we, Sandra? So I think that's mm. brilliant. Yeah. Um, obviously, working global teams is frustrations and challenges I'd love to know a little bit more about how you're motivating and uniting your teams through these difficult times and if you've got any special top tricks for that that'd be awesome um when I was talking before again I I really like uh, all the motivation theories you know like the intrinsic motivation especially and when you are looking for the intrinsic motivation you you know like uh, you need to focus on some of the areas. And I always like to to, be, to challenge our approach with all this uh, vision of how the mindset of the people work, right? And uh, so I remember that I was um, challenging the engineering that we are looking at Trafford from uh, the gamification framework of the distribution of the players. You know, you have the socializers, you have the players, you have the... Um, the philanthropic people, then you have the free spirit, you have the achievers. And um, the, the elements that you should include in your process should be aligned with the type of people that you want in your team, right? And I yeah. think in a product engineer, in a product company like, like us, we are looking for people who feels like a free spirit, you know, people who wants to create, people, people who is driven by creating things. Yeah. And yeah, but that's, that's achievers, right? people who is driven by mastery, people who wants to be better at, at something and be expected to be better at something. Mm-hmm. So I think all of our process is aligned with uh, this type of uh, stereotypes of uh, personalities, because this is actually what we are looking at. Right? That's really cool. And then it drives innovation and ideas. And yeah, sounds like you've got a great, great team there, which is awesome. So we'd love to finish the podcast then with anything that you've got going on at Travel Perk, anything really exciting or plans for the next 12 months that you can talk about, um, any really cool things you're up to in business, but also in your personal life as well. I think it was a really, really, really challenging year. And uh, yeah. Honestly, we are taking now the time to think about the next year, mm-hmm. but it's really, 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 really challenging. Um, I, I strongly believe that I don't have an answer. I, I think that the biggest challenge for us as a, as a team for the next year, thinking in product engineering is just to consolidate what we built this year, just mm-hmm. to consolidate the team. Because right now, 60, 70% of the team is, is new, right? So the goal for the next year is just to think about which is going to be the strategy for consolidating this team. Because if uh, from six months from now, we have a consolidated team with uh, the current level of rotation, this is going to be unstoppable. I I strongly believe that. Mm -hmm. From a personal perspective, uh, I mean, again, it was a really challenging things. And what I want is stability, right? I, I want to... I want my work to be a constant and I want to, my life to be a constant, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. single dad and uh, just being single dad, it's really, really, really challenging and balance this with a professional uh, career. It's, wow. it's really yeah. challenging. So, How old are your children? Five. Oh, five. Wow. That is a lovely age. Two, two at five. 
No, I have uh, one one daughter and it's five. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got a five-year-old <laughs> going through a very, very challenging time at the moment. So now <laughs> I'm just thankful this time around because we're in lockdown now. I'm just so thankful that the schools are staying open. That's all I can say right now. <laughs> I can tell, yeah. <laughs> it's a special age though at that time, but yeah, it's good yeah. that you're able to manage and juggle and that you get that level of flexibility. And it sounds like you're doing an awesome job at Travel Perk. So um, yeah, looking forward to keeping an eye on all the great stuff that you and the business are up to. And um, if anyone's got any questions about what you've discussed today, maybe some of your thoughts on DNI or the Pirates model, things like that, is it best form of contact if people reached out to you on LinkedIn? Ivan? Yeah, I think that's the best approach. Yeah, awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic to hear your story today. Thank you very much. Really Thank you. That.